on this episode of the Give First podcast, you're going to hear from an amazing entrepreneur that recently finished one of our accelerator programs from a company called Hylos. He's passionately curious. He's fixing the problem immediately that one out of every five shoes that get manufactured end up in a landfill. This is not very sustainable, but he's got an enormous vision to create an entirely new supply chain. And he's just starting with shoes. I love how he balances vision and focus in this podcast. He gives last. He doesn't just give first. You'll hear that story and more coming up on Give First. Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? On today's episode of Give First, really excited to talk about Hylos, a really interesting company that was in our Stanley Black & Decker Accelerator pretty recently. It's gone on to raise a nice seed round. It's a fascinating company. And we're joined by its CEO, Elias Stahl. Elias, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, David. Tell us a little bit about your background and how it led you to Hylos, and then tell us a bit about the company itself. So I've got a weird background. I started off in the Israeli Special Forces and came back stateside for a master's degree and ended up working from urban policy, went kind of from defense and intelligence to urban policy to corporate policy to software impacting corporate policy to founding Hylos. And not what you'd expect, definitely not a straight journey. The thread that runs through it is ultimately always being very passionately curious and seeking out kind of the really big challenges, finding thicker walls to run through. What got me really interested in the corporate impact space was this feeling that there was a huge amount of potential and of will at these brand levels to actually make a difference in the world beyond just their initial product or service. But they were all very constrained by the weight of legacy supply chains. They were all essentially throwing money at PR and corporate sustainability, like surface-level partnerships, to disguise the underlying inability to affect change on a basic level in their business. And that's what got me disillusioned with that work and also opened me up to this huge hard nut to crack, where you can have a very efficient digital world on top. But ultimately, when you buy something at Amazon, that's still being made 18 months in advance on a factory overseas by the millions. And that level of inefficiency and waste just struck me as completely counter to what we can afford to be doing today. So that's how the Hilos came into being. So it's like a bit of sustainability theater, if you will, that you know companies know they can't really affect it necessarily with their products. So they do things that are probably good things to do, but aren't really impacting the core. So how does Hilos come, come about to help with that challenge? So we're building a completely new supply chain that allows brands to launch products on demand only after a customer buys and then take back at end of life to recycle for a second life. We saw that opportunity to leverage new technologies like 3D printing, gender design tools to 
rethink how we make things so that we're no longer building based on volume and cost, but on efficiency and a far more sustainable way for creators to take their ideas, turn them into products, and then deliver them into hands of customers. So we're, we're very focused on footwear initially because footwear is ground zero for inefficiency and waste. I mean, 24 billion shoes are made every year and one in five goes straight to the landfill. So product categories like footwear and apparel, where there's a lot of sizes and styles, are incredibly inefficient. Brands spend $20 billion every year making something no one will buy. And this is where we found an immediate window to address a huge problem while also giving end customers a better product, a higher quality product that would be more sustainable at the end of the day. So I just want to pause on this because I think this is an excellent example of something I get asked about a ton generally which is this sort of notion when you're telling your story of how to talk about your giant vision, because building a totally new supply chain, <laughs> that's a pretty big vision. And then reconciling that with focus, because investors want a huge vision, but they also want to see that you can go and accomplish something. So you're starting with footwear very deliberately because you see a big opportunity. It's maybe low-hanging fruit in a sense. But long-term, like how big is that vision, right? This totally new supply chain. What, what would that mean if you're successful, say, 10 years from now? It would mean that Amazon's not a reality anymore. I mean, ultimately, there's going to be a lot of products that we still mass manufacture overseas far in advance. But we see a whole world of apparel, accessories, footwear, ultimately, all of these long-tail product categories that would benefit from on-demand manufacturing, moving to a digitally native, generative, and creatively expressive supply chain that we're powering. And that's one where the barriers to entry are far lower and far more accessible for individuals and creators. Right now, it costs a brand a quarter of a million dollars. It takes them 18 months to launch a footwear line. For us, that's 90 days and 10K. So the entire market changes when the barriers come down like that. And you can imagine that not just with footwear, but with any fashion apparel, accessories, anything that is essentially customized to our style or size. And that's what we want to drive is lowering those barriers to while creating a more efficient, sustainable way to sell more while making less. Awesome. I hope Amazon, if they're listening, doesn't turn off your AWS account. I'm sure they won't. They're really nice people. And maybe they just change their business to be more in line with what you're doing in the future. But I mean, that's a big vision, obviously. And I think that's to my point. I get asked about it a lot because people go and they pitch the thing they're doing versus like the, the long-term vision. And they're trying to decide which one do I talk about. And the answer is talk about both, but always start with your vision like you did. I thought that was great. Let's talk more about the shoes. You're, you're doing some early work in that area. I don't know what you can tell us, but I really want to make it real for people. Are there certain brands or certain shoes that are being designed or built today that are going to work this way? And you know, how would a consumer experience that in the end? Definitely. So we wanted to make it real for everyone by launching our own concept lines and showing what this looks like. When we first started and launched our first lines into market, if you Google 3D printed shoes, it would look like a postmodern art sculpture, something that you could see on a runway, but never in your life. And we wanted to break that barrier and show that this was commercial and scalable. So our first concept lines launched last May. We're focused very much on brown shoes. So think about heels, clogs, mules, anything you wear outside of a sneaker while running is what we're focused something that was left behind by technology two centuries ago that hasn't really changed in terms of the way we make it or the amount of labor that goes into it. Once we had our own concept lines in market, D2C, we had brands coming to us that didn't realize this was possible and asking for us 
to take this technology and partner with them. That's what we did with Helm. So Helm Boots was the first partner that we launched off of our platform. They're an Austin-based brand. There's a line on their site, the Emmet, which is a men's slip-on mule, perfect for your casual work from home, David, while also joining to the store or having a high-level meeting on the board somewhere. That does sound perfect. It's exactly my life. Right? They're, I mean, they're, they're comfortable, they're beautiful, but they're also made on demand without any inventory. And so we wanted to show that this was a model that brands could easily adapt. They still have a legacy supply chain they work with for other lines. We're additive to that and allow them to think in a completely different way. That's how we initially came to market. Now we've had brands that we're going to be launching with this fall that are much larger and uh, much more visible than just Helm Boots. And so what you're going to see is your favorite brands launching lines on demand powered with this technology. And the experience is going to be relatively similar to how you're used to ordering shoes today. But when you get it, you're going to feel a completely different feel to that shoe, a completely different performance. And the brands are going to be able to take it to market far faster than before. Probably the thing you'll notice most is they'll always be in stock. We've all had that where it's like you have a six in the color you want, but not in your size or whatever it might be. They'll always have your size and style in stock. So that's how we've been able to bring this to market, but it's been a journey. It started with us promoting our own concept lines and then partnering with other brands and having them take our story and make it their own, which has really been the most gratifying part is creating something that another brand feels proud to make their own. And that has meant a lot to us. That's awesome. And I, I know some of the brands you're working with, you know them, we can't say them yet, but people have heard of them. So that's pretty exciting progress. And I want to talk a little bit about your accelerator experience. Um, I've been shifting lately to talking to more entrepreneurs that have recently completed one of our accelerators. You were in the Stanley program. They've been an, an amazing partner, obviously. I'm going to guess they were very value added in this type of space and in terms of partnerships and things. So talk a bit about that experience with a corporate partner like a Stanley Black & Decker in the context of an accelerator. How did that work for you? Well, I think it was incredible from two perspectives. First, just going through an accelerator. The Techstars Accelerator was so incredibly effective at helping us build relationships with incredible people across our industry while also discovering ourselves and honing our stories. I picture it as when you're a kid, you really have to discover who you are by being shoved into the playground and figuring out who your friends are. And that act of wandering around a playground and, and understanding who you want to hang out with and kind of finding your group is what Techstars really it pushes you out of your front door and helps you understand who you are with that kind of immersion. And that was what our time was at Stanley Black & Decker. We really, I mean, Mentor Madness was, I think we probably met 100 people in four weeks. And if you don't know how to introduce yourself and who you're looking for and a kind of partner by the end of that then you probably weren't paying attention. I mean, it was just incredibly effective and distillation of everything we needed to do that would have taken anyone else six months. But then from another angle, it also helped us really understand how to work with a large corporation, which can seem so unapproachable. And understand, you know, who owns what P&L? Who makes the decisions here? What relationships are you can kind of see on an org chart and what relationships you can't see? How you want to align with a partner and set shared expectations so you can really have a, a positive relationship going forward. These are things that you really only learn by doing. And the Accelerator provided this incredible space where we had the support of all Stanley Black & Decker. We could call anyone we wanted. I still, to this day, have a very close relationship with one of our key mentors in that program. We talk almost weekly. I know as much about his company as he does. You know, he can talk about, he can name names, and he can say, oh, I was talking to this person. And it's almost like we're both employees at Stanley. 
<laughs> just because of the intimate knowledge we've built together. And I think that's a really unique relationship that you wouldn't get anywhere else. From my perspective, to one of the things that I feel like a lot of the mentors in that program really helped you with was sort of this the storytelling. I mean, when I see the way that you do it today versus maybe when you're coming in, it feels like it's it's something you've really focused on. Talk about how you figured out how to tell the story and why that's so powerful for brands that ultimately are going to touch consumer goods and obviously more broadly than that as well. Yeah, I think getting to the core of Give First, ultimately, it's about building relationships that aren't transactional, that are genuine relationships. And when you build a relationship that's a genuine relationship, it begins by being open-handed. It begins with being altruistic and generous, as any relationship you built in your life probably did. But it also begins on introducing yourself in a real way, in a way that people can understand who you are and, and kind of get behind. And so I think storytelling, not from a place of fiction, but from a place of allowing you to grow closer with someone, that's what we learned. We ultimately learned how to grow incredible relationships through the accelerator. And storytelling is the tool that we do that, is, that I think is people. That's what our time at Stanley really allowed us to build. And we've taken that and it's been so important to the growth of the company going forward. Ultimately, whenever you partner with a brand or you get an investment from an investor, these are people at the end of the day. <laughs> They're not institutions. There are people making decisions that are as flawed, you and I, and they have their own biases and emotions, and you have to have a relationship with them and connect with them on a level that you can build a more professional kind of background on top of. But that's like the base. You need that before anything else. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, people love stories, right? And, and they connect with you. I mean, it's the Simon Sinek thing, right? It's, it's based on your why, right? And you talk now about how we actually make things is so important, right? And how we reduce waste and, and create more sustainability is a big part of your story. But clearly that storytelling is working. I'm seeing you guys win all kinds of awards. I probably missed some, but I know there was the South by Southwest Best in Show, several others recently. So people are resonating with that story. And I think there's a whole generation or more of people now growing up with this intent, right, as consumers to do better. And then the brands are growing up knowing that that demand is there. So you seem in your online materials very passionate about the way that we make things. And I'm sure you're out telling that story and, and it's working. You were able to raise money from amazing Find Better Ventures. I think my guess is there's going to be more down the road. You know, lots of value add from groups like them and lots of awards coming your way. So congrats on, I think, telling a story that people are, are really resonating with. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this uh, silver lining, I suppose, to having the world become so broken over the past few years is there's a real energy, I think, to change things and to think about how we want to build a better world, a more resilient world. And there's an appreciation for how unsustainable and broken the status quo was before. So maybe some silver linings or some tailwinds from the pandemic there. But I did not expect that 3D printing technology platform would win Best in Show at South by. I mean, there were incredible startups that way more revenue, very high profile investors. We thought, proud to be on this stage, right? And leave it there. But it, it does, I think, show that the, the story that you helped us build has really been key to our success, but also an acknowledgement that we have a lot farther to go and that every time we tell our story, we learn something new and kind of collect it as we go. So I think it's exciting, but there's also a lot ahead. So, you know, I know when you're out raising money and essentially CEO and entrepreneurs pretty much always doing that, even when you're not, right? You know, you've had some some success in that first round post the accelerator, which we talked about with Better Ventures, like two million dollar round, if I'm not mistaken. Talk about that process. Like people really want to understand what's the market like. 
you know, how did that go? Maybe, maybe tell some stories around it. Like, were there people that said no? I'm going to guess there were plenty. Was that ever helpful, right? Uh, talk people through sort of the process of raising money today. This is the number one thing that everyone complains about, right? Every founder is like, I hate raising money. It's terrible. It's, it's a complete distraction. It feels, I think for a lot of people, very inauthentic because you're putting an immediate value on everything you're doing and it's very transactional or can feel that way. And I learned a lot through the first, the first fundraise, I think, where the temptation is always to change and adjust your story because you want it to kind of that magic product market fit moment where you're like, oh, you found the way that you're going to sell something. And you're definitely true to a point, but I think you have to fight the urge to change too much of yourself, own what you're doing, be confident in who you are and why you're doing it, and you'll find the right person. I think looking at it as dating helps people think about it like that. Like ultimately, you're going to meet your match, you're going to meet your partner, and if they see it, then it'll work. You shouldn't have to change yourself to find love, right? Think about it in the same way when it comes to fundraising. You should find the right people out there for you who can be true partners to you and you can grow this business together. And I think that hopefully takes a little bit of pressure mentally off the entrepreneur when you're going out fundraising. You don't want to be like the guy cringing at date, like, oh, should I, you know, reach for the napkin now or later? How much has she noticed that I've asked this question twice? You know, be yourself, be natural and know that it's a two-way street. I think the other thing, which hopefully provides some reassurance to people going through fundraising now, is even though it can be pretty absorbing while you're going through it, I look back at the relationships that we built during our last fundraise outside of just the investors that we connected with, but the people those investors connected us to and the larger community. You're spending so much time as a CEO outwardly building relationships and connecting dots that it made me much closer to people I hadn't been this close to and created a lot of incredible connections that wound up having the most material impact to the business more than any capital could have. And uh, an example, we had one fund, didn't actually end up investing in the round, but connected me to someone who was a screening call, essentially, to evaluate our technology. And we got along incredibly. This person ended up being very well-known designer and innovator in their field that had a lot of great relationships with other brands who ended up connecting us to several of our first big customers. And did this without any you know, expectation of reward or gain. Just did this because they liked what we were doing. We had grown a good organic relationship. And after that, as a thank you, we then came back and said, listen, regardless of, even if you don't talk to us tomorrow or any other day afterwards, we want to thank you for your contribution to the success of the building. It's going to be successful because of you. We want to give you some an equity compensation as, as a return. That was just something that was natural and organic. And I feel like those types of advisory relationships that you grow off of that are far better than the very transactional ones that you end up getting hit up with as, a, as an early startup where there are people just hunting for advisory seats and they're like, oh, I'll give you two calls and then you've got to give me some shares if you want to talk to me again. Those are always the relationships that don't stand the test of time and aren't really that fruitful for the business or for you. So I think we came out of it with a lot of incredible relationships. And when we kick off our next fundraise here, I'm looking forward to building those kind of relationships again. And that it, the expanse it gives for the business from a visibility perspective, from a relational perspective, and the fun of just meeting more interesting, great people. Because ultimately, just like probably the best part of being an investor is meeting really interesting founders, the best part of being a founder is the relationships you can forge with other businesses, investors, partners, celebrities suddenly take your call. Like, that's cool. You would never get to talk to a celebrity otherwise. There's something there that you should enjoy and I think take with you. It's a great story. And I often hear these stories of randomness around the fundraising process. It's this T 
tedious, long process for a lot of people that, as you said, most entrepreneurs don't really like it. It's it's a necessary thing that they have to do and they want to be working on their business. But you can learn to enjoy it a little bit. And you, you do realize that there are just relationships and the investor you talked about that introduced you to somebody that ultimately helped you a ton that you sort of gave last to, right? They gave first and you gave last and said, here's some, some equity. My guess is that story will continue if I checked in with you in a year or two. Who knows? Maybe that investor ends up investing next time, right? Because they're hearing great things from that person that's now gotten involved with with your company. And when you think about them as as real relationships that last a decade or two or three or ten, right? Like, you know, for the company, it really can change your perspective on things. The number of stories I could tell about the randomness in the universe where you're just somebody's helping you out and you appreciate that and help them in some other way. And then eventually you realize wow, they can change everything for my business. I didn't even know that. I was just you know, engaging in a real relationship. Those stories are super powerful and they're what the idea of Give First is all about. So it's super cool for me to hear of the accelerator creating opportunities like that and for you to really you know, be grokking that. And my guess is giving it back outside of even your company now, right? My guess is you'll find ways to do that in the broader ecosystem over time. So it's really cool for me to hear that. No, absolutely. And let me, on the Give First and I think the ways that the accelerator and our time with Techstars infused how we build relationships with that value at its core, that's exactly the way that we began approaching partnerships with other corporates. It really was informed by that give first mentality that we found at Stanley. And when we began working with large companies like HP or BASF, we wanted to be allies and supporters and champions for them without any expectation of a return. Just saying, we're using your materials, we're using your hardware. We want you to know it's having this impact on our business. It's, ha- it's ha- having this impact on the overall industry. We're doing a showcase. We want to showcase you as a part of it. We're about to release a case study. We want you to be a part of it. And that was a great way to build an authentic relationship with people in that company without making it overly transactional and just creating a different frame of mind for it. And that led us to really build very strong relationships team to team, not just individual to individual, so that our entire team can work very closely with upstream material, hardware, software partners, and actually share together in those successes that come with collaboration. So an example being, we just released a case study in partnership with Yale University, also something that came out of the accelerator because we were introduced to a mentor through the accelerator that ended up introducing us to an incredible professor and head of a department there that wanted to work with us. This case study was the first environmental evaluation of 3D printed shoes. We wanted to really take a step back and say, what's the impact this technology is having on the environment? How does it compare to legacy manufacturing? We invited our partners, we invited BASF and AMT and HP to be a part of that, not just to share their data, but to share in the findings, to share in the visibility, to put their own brand perspective point of view on it and to have it also inform them in ways they would want to change and evolve going forward. It was an investment in faith in all parts, but it also gave them something that they wouldn't have been able to get on their own. And that showed the sum of all parts being greater than the whole, that by bringing together all these different facets of technology, we're able to build something that can immediately have this impact on the industry. And we're going to together ask the hard questions to reflect on it and use that to build better going forward and to think, could this be two years from now, five years from now? And it was a great way to bring the relationship even closer together. It was a give first attitude where we just wanted to be helpful and showcase what they were able to do with the technology they'd worked so hard on for years before we even arrived on the scene. It rallied the entire company around us in a way we didn't expect. 
where suddenly like the marketing teams are getting involved, the PD teams, you know, everyone can find something to get excited about. And it was all from the right place and from a, a give first mentality. And I think it's just shown us how incredibly effective and genuine that mentality is to building long lasting value between companies. So that's something that we took with us and will continue to inspire us. 100%. I mean, one of the secrets about how we at Techstars pick our own partners is really looking for that value alignment. And, you know, I find there are corporations who totally get give first, right? And they live it and they already do it. And it's just how they operate. There are corporations that sort of see the opportunity and want to operate that way. And then there are those that don't. And from day one, you know, just a shout out to Stanley and, and Marty and his team. They had this attitude going into it. Right. And it was just sort of this clear match of where if we put our networks together, it could be really powerful for entrepreneurs and come back to, you know, Stanley in unexpected ways. Right. So my guess is something good will come back to them. And I hope they're listening. They've been an awesome partner. It's really fun to hear what y'all are doing, how you're planning to change the world and how you're taking steps on that right away. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling the story and, and good luck with the next chapters. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for the gift first mentality. It's been a real gift. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.